For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, Heard Tell Show. It's a Monday. It's April the 4th, year of our Lord, 2022. Hope you are well. Hope you had a great weekend. Glad to see you. Welcome back. However, you're watching across the street or around the world and or listening on any of the podcasting platforms. So glad you are with us. Hope you and yours are well. A lot to cover today. A lot of noise out there. We're going to try to turn some of it down. We're going to talk a little bit about the boycott Disney movement that's getting going. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit. Uh, drones. Uh, in the war in Ukraine, the Ukrainian military is getting a new supply of drones, which has become a very effective weapon from a very unlikely source. We'll touch in on that story in a little bit. Great guest on the program today, Kurnuthi, uh, another one of our great Young Voices contributors. We're going to talk about the internet, internet regulation, mass nations in Congress, what's different overseas, and here's some really interesting insight on why the EU and the UK regulate differently and how that affects things like innovation, some shocking statistics about where the innovation online is occurring. Hint, hint, it's occurring right here in America. Maybe we should think about those sorts of things before we start regulating the free and open internet. Kernuthi, an outstanding guest. Do not miss that conversation a little bit later on in the program. Uh, But first, we're going to start in Ukraine You can't say it's shocking because we knew it was happening, uh, but the images are shocking. Uh, As the Russian armed forces are pulling back away from Kiev for redeployment, they're not retreating. They're going to redeploy to the east where there's not so much fighting because they can't get a hold of Kiev. Uh, There's been, especially in a village called Bucha or Buka, I've heard it pronounced both ways. We have some really shocking images, Uh, dead bodies everywhere, civilian bodies in some cases, uh, civilians with their hands tied behind their back, shot in the head, and so forth. We know the Russians are committing war crime. First of all, this war is a war of aggression, is a war crime in and of itself by definition. They are committing massive atrocities. The fact that they are just openly assaulting cities and leveling cities, they're not even pretending to be going after military targets. These are all war crimes, and they're multiple war crimes, and they're happening right in front of us. These war crimes are happening in real time. This is the kind of stuff we talk about in World War II and in other conflicts, and we go, how in the world do people let this happen? Well, it's happening right in front of us right now. I'm going to defer to my friend uh, Michael Siegel, my colleague at Ordinary-Times.com. He's been on this program many, many times, writing in Ordinary-Times. He said this, uh, quoting, the claims coming out of Buka are horrific, including claims that the Russians simply executed any man between the ages of 16 and 60. Even if you think those claims are exaggerating, the pictures tell the story. Unarmed civilians dead in the streets, some of them with their hands tied behind their backs, entire city blocks destroyed, a city absolutely ravaged by Putin's illegal war. 
And it's not like we haven't seen this before. We saw it in Grozny, how Putin would flatten a city and deliberately kill civilians and retreating soldiers. We saw in Syria how his puppet would flatten cities and murder civilians. We've seen it in Mariupol. We've seen it in the attacks on marked civilian targets and supposed evacuation corridors. And now we see the most extreme example of it so far. Putin atta- Putin's attacks on Ukraine has never been about denazification, liberation, or NATO expansion. It's been about conquering and subject subjugating a nation he wants to own and if he needs to murder every single last ukrainian to do it he will for the moment the russians have pulled out of kiev to concentrate their efforts to the east this is michael siegel writing in ordinary-times.com it's possible they're looking for something they can claim as a victory so they can end what has turned out to be a disastrous war but we are moving forward let's remember the bodies in buka and Mariupol and Kharkiv. And keep in mind that this won't be the end for Putin. Once this ends in Ukraine, however it ends, he will turn his eyes to the next atrocity. Maybe a second attack in Ukraine. Maybe Georgia again. Maybe Kazakhstan. Maybe a NATO member. Because a murderer is who Vladimir Putin is. It's who he's always been. It's who he always will be. And I've lost my patience with those who want to pretend he is motivated by anything other than power and bloodlust. It's Michael Siegel writing in Ordinary-Times.com, which we're very proud of. One of my favorite people. Do go read him. We've talked about it from the very beginning. There was going to be atrocities because this is a war about breaking the will of the Ukrainian people and subjugating them. It's not about NATO. It's not about oil. It's not about anything else other than Vladimir Putin craving and lusting to put Ukraine back under the Russian boot hill for almost all of his adult life. And now he's not going to get to do it. He's going to be denied it because mostly the bravery of the Ukrainian people And although the West has been rather feckless on a lot of this, they have finally seemingly come around to it. These images ought to solidify that, that we ought to be doing everything we can to help the Ukrainians. Now, there's no real good options in this war. There's going to be generational shift, bad stuff coming out of it. But the best of the bad options is for us to support the Ukrainians through arms and other aid and let them do the fighting and make sure that they win. And by winning, they just have to stay in the fight until the Russians have had enough and leave them alone. That's the best option. It's still a bad option, but it's the best option. We should be arming them because we've seen what happens to unarmed civilians in Ukraine. They get tied up, they get drug out in the street, and they get shot for the temerity of wanting to be Ukrainian and not Russian and not bow the knee to Vladimir Putin, murderous thug dictator who's been having his proxies online talk about how it's very unfair how people are painting him. So just for the troll farms paying attention, listening to our little program, Vladimir Putin, let me repeat, you're a bloodthirsty dictator. You're a war criminal. You are the modern day evil in our world, along with a few others. And we're not going to pretend like you're anything else. That's your legacy. We'll do more hurt tell. Welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Okay, uh, this is not the Tickle Your Ears program. This is the where we talk about things as they actually are program. So you might have heard tell that there's a movement now mostly online because it's just people that want to make noise online that we're going to boycott Disney over their reaction to the parents' bill of education that went through in Florida, the so-called uh, Don't Say Gay bill, the Disney 
uh, corporate president weighed in on it. You can imagine how this all goes. And now folks are demanding that they boycott Disney. You boycott Disney. I boycott Disney. Uh, this is mostly very online noise because the truth is people really like Disney. They like the Disney products. And if you don't understand that Disney is a very pro-gay, pro-LGBT uh, organization, I don't know what rock you've been living under for the last 30 or 40 years. Uh, but Boycott Disney is getting really popular and really loud on social media now. Uh, matter of fact, the Southern Baptist Convention, the second largest denomination of Christians in the country, has called for a boycott of Disney over... Uh, just going to quote said uh, that we should refrain from patronizing the Disney company and any of its related entities. That's a direct quote um, over the giant, the entertainment giants. And this is a direct quote, gay friendly policies. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That's from 1997. You see, one of those nice things about getting a little bit older is I'm on about my fourth boycott Disney over whatever the issue of the day is uh, from 1997 all the way up through and until 2006, the Southern Baptist Convention had an official boycott of Disney over their gay policies. They made a big stink over it. They're going to do a big boycott of it. You weren't supposed to do anything with Disney. Um, it's now 2022. You can see how well that boycott worked out. Look, Disney is a completely voluntary activity. If you let Disney stuff into your home as a parent or the head of the household or whatever the case may be, that's all on you. You want to not buy their products? Fine. You don't want to go to their theme parks? Fine. But just understand what you're doing here because there's not going to be a big boycott of Disney. Uh, most people like Disney products a lot more than they like their pundits and a lot more than they like their social media caterwauling. I understand the issue is very important to a lot of people, but if you're going to start having purity of the products you buy, I got news for you. You're going to be in a long road of hoe trying to get all proper entertainment in your home. Again, it's completely up to you. What is played in your home, that's up to you. Now, the thing about this is it's a hot button topic. It's the moral panic of our day. So there's very online folks who like to make a lot of money off things like this that are going to make it seem like the whole world is going to boycott Disney. They are not. This is not going to hurt their stock price. This is not going to hurt their ticket sales. This is not going to hurt anything. Uh, you can boycott Disney if you want to. You have that right to do. You can advocate against whatever Disney's doing. You can do that as well. I just want to remind you, this is not the first time this has happened. This is not the last time it's going to happen. Disney's the biggest player on the block when it comes to entertainment these days between the Marvel properties, the Star Wars properties, the theme parks, the long canon of all their animation and other items the mouse is mighty. They're not omnipotent, though. It is fair. If you really want to go after something practical instead of just hollering on the Internet about things, yes, uh, Disney does have sweetheart deals in the state of Florida. It basically makes them their own fiefdom. They're pretty much an independent country inside of the state of Florida. They picked the Orlando area on purpose for that very reason. If you want to talk about a little bit of cronyism and strap up and fight that, hey, I'm all for you. Disney's got plenty of that down in Florida. That's a little bit more worthwhile, but just screaming boycott on the internet, you need to adjust your expectations. That's not going to go anywhere. Most of the big name people online that are doing that, they're not going to be boycotting it either. Just pay attention. Remember, those are the same people that keep telling you they're going to leave Twitter every six months, and they tell you that by tweeting about it. Keep things in perspective. You want to boycott them, knock yourself out. Just understand that's not going to affect the house of mouse one little bit. 
It will get you all riled up, might make you feel like you've accomplished something, but stick to things like policy. Look at things like their sweetheart deals if you really want to talk about something that could improve things. And keep in mind that just because your big cultural issue may not be the cultural issue that fires everybody else up and be very aware of people online that are telling you that it will. It probably isn't. Always, in all things, keep your bearing, keep a wide perspective, and whatever you decide to do about your Disney product, do it for what's right for your home, not because some name on the internet told you to do it. More Heard Tell right after this. Now, welcome back to Heard Tell. Okay, this is going to be fun. Let's talk a little bit about the interwebs, uh, more specifically how people want to get their fingers into them and control them, and other people do not want them to do that. Normally, I'd say we're going over to the UK, but she happens to be stateside right now, but she is one of our great UK Young Voices contributors. Uh, she is the public affairs manager for NetChoice, a great organization. She has done a lot of other work at places you would know when you go read her bio at youngvoices.com. Kerr Nuthi, how are you, my friend? Good. How are you? I am thrilled to have you. We've been trying to do this for a week or two, so fun to finally get you in. Um, you've been talking a lot about the internet, specifically regulation. Let, let's start big picture before we go delving into some of the specifics here. Um, people want to throw around some terminology when we deal with the internet now. They want to talk about antitrust. They want to talk about competition. Part of the problem here, though, is in things like antitrust, especially the way it's written in the U.S. law, I don't know about overseas, these are things that were really designed for the last century and the old business models, and I'm not sure they completely fit the new paradigm that we're in of the internet, and yet this seems to be the tool that legislators and regulators want to pull out of the tool bag. I got all kinds of doubts whether that's appropriate or not on a lot of levels, but you've been writing about it, you've been explaining it to folks. How do you feel when you hear that word antitrust getting thrown around about the internet? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You're seeing a lot of different perspectives um, in Europe as well as in the U.S. on how to regulate companies, especially online companies. Um, and what we're seeing, at least on the American side, is the word antitrust is getting thrown around for antitrust proposals by U.S. senators and U.S. representatives to change how America treats antitrust law. Um, you're seeing the same thing at the European Union, and now you're seeing the same thing in the United Kingdom. All three seem to be focusing explicitly on online tech companies and online services that promote social media. Um, for the U.S., it seems to be an approach that disregards consumers, even though we have the consumer welfare standard here. Um, in the U.S., um, in the U.S., we have that consumer welfare standard to make sure that consumers are the first focus um, of comp of competitive markets. The question is: Are consumers being benefited by these online services? Are they being benefited by the business practices of companies? If so, it's probably above board. For the U.K. and the E.U., they have a little bit of a different approach for competition. Um, but the approach that they're currently doing is kind of the same. They're focusing on social media companies because they think that they are anti-competitive um, in a way that just disregards consumers of the UK and the EU and will have aftershocks in the US the same way the US policy will have aftershocks in the UK and the EU. And we're already seeing a, I don't know how you'd call it, a, a divide, a pulling away here. 
I was shocked about this when you were writing about this. Um, you had this stat and this blew me away. Spotify is the only top 30 tech company based in the EU. That, that can't be true. I mean, that just doesn't even sound right, does it? It doesn't. And it's, it's really interesting considering that like the startup and scale up culture of Europe and the United Kingdom post-Brexit are both ramping up. It just seems off that it's just Spotify by market capitalization. Um, but I think that's a sign of how light touch regulation or um, the way that American tech companies have been able to succeed is working. Light touch regulation made it so that an awkward statement like Spotify is really the only large competitive tech company, according to market cap, is possible. And it's because one side of the Atlantic had light touch regulation that let these companies have low barriers to entry and focus on innovation and disrupting this, just disrupting the status quo. Whereas the other side had already heightened barriers to entry and already had a lot of hurdles that startups and companies have to just get past to even be competitive in the international environment. And that is what the internet is. It's an international environment. These companies have global reaches sometimes. And because they have global reaches, a European company is going to compete with American ones and American ones going to compete with Asian ones. It's so interesting though, because this isn't like we're talking about, you know, developing nations here, uh, Germany, France, Sweden, Germany is one of the world leaders in industrial technology. They're, they're on the cutting edge of that. Most of the world goes there for things like, you know, precision tooling, things like this that you need for industrial thing. You know, Switzerland, of course, well, world renowned for their banking and their financing stuff. The Netherlands, Spain, Sweden, these aren't developing countries. These are what we would consider frontline economies, top countries in the world, countries that are mostly uh, market-based systems that we think of as being pretty free. The idea that there isn't a major tech company in a Germany or in a Switzerland or even in an England, you know, London's the financial center of the world in a lot of cases, as we've learned with the Russian stuff, that, that's just shocking to me. But is that not a perfect example of what a little bit of regulation can do? Because we've all seen the European websites where we got to click those extra cookie things, right? And that's not exactly analogous, but it's just an example. Is there any other way to explain that but regulation? Because they innovate in everything else. They just don't seem to be innovating in this. I mean, you're seeing that now post-Brexit. The United Kingdom post-Brexit is outpacing Germany, France, Sweden, all of these countries for like startup investment, venture capital, et cetera. Like it's become a real contender and it's going to be really interesting to see in the coming years if that works out for the United Kingdom because they've maintained the approach that makes them more marketable than Europe. But that's the exact reason why the UK was even able to outpace European countries is their regulatory system, especially their data privacy GDPR has made it not the most friendly area for tech companies to want to go to or start their business. And that's just the nature of free markets and competition while the European union may want a heavily regulated environment. And maybe that is what they want. And maybe that isn't what they want, but that's what they have. Um, companies can just go elsewhere. So can investors. And while customers can probably not move as easily as companies and investment, it's going to always be more consumer friendly and more investment friendly, more innovation friendly, where there is less regulation. 
Now, you you went to school in London. You went to University College of London. You know London well. London is an international city. It's the financial hub for most of the world. It's also a cultural hub. It's an, there's the running joke that all the most expensive real estate in London, none of it is owned by the English. It's all you know, rich people from elsewhere coming in. Talk about the environment, though. Like, Do people in London, do they go, well, wait a minute, we're a financial center. We're one of the great cities in the world. Shouldn't we have this? Or is that something that the people think of? And therefore, because it's a parliamentarian system, the government is just kind of lagging behind it, or is the government ahead of the people there in England? I I don't know myself, actually. I think what we're seeing in the UK is they want to start this digital markets unit to create regulation, um, and they want to force the competitive markets authority to be a little bit more aggressive than maybe it was in the past, but it's interesting. I feel like when I lived there, um, and just in general, London is an incredibly unique city um, just because it is so large and holds so many industries and just so many different like sectors of talent. Um, but for the United Kingdom, it seems to be that they're pushing for regulation after having to figure out what the regulatory scheme looks like, especially for digital markets. Um, the European Union created the Digital Markets Act and the Digital Services Act. They now have the Data Act and now the Compet um, Competition and Markets Authority and the UK government have thought about what a pro-competition regime for digital markets is for the United Kingdom. Maybe there's a little bit of like UK pride there, um, but what we are seeing is the United Kingdom creating what is their own regulatory system to compete with the US and the EU. And I'm not sure who's to say which one works, but I do think we'll be able to tell which one is more pro-competitive based off of how much consumer choice exists. Yeah, talking to Kern Newsy. Uh, before we jump back to this side of the pond, let's stay with England for just a second. Um, obviously, Europe is busy with things like Russia, uh, their uh, war of aggression in the Ukraine. But isn't the war in Ukraine another good example of how we need to be really, really careful with regulation of the Internet? Because you have thing, you know, some of the best news we're getting out of Ukraine is off of TikTok and it's off citizen journalists using social media. Uh, Telegram, which is not as well known in the state, uh, Telegram is making that thing work over there right now. Things like this. How is people getting a realization of like, oh, this isn't just cat pictures and yelling at our government? This social media thing has some real world consequences. And when we have something like what's going on in Ukraine, where the Internet is basically the lifeline for the country outside of the actual fighting arms, is there a sense in Europe and the UK? Are they starting to take that lesson and go, OK, this is something we need to protect? Or do you think the governments are going, OK, this is something we need to continue to regulate and they're just missing the point here? I I don't know. You You see that like in Ukraine and the way that the tech companies have responded, that it is a rapid response game. Like you are trying to deal with a horrible, horrible situation as best as humans can. <laughs> um, and I don't mean to laugh at that. It's just, it's an awful weight. It's just an awful weight on everyone's shoulders. And I really wish it didn't happen. Um, but what you are also seeing is these, com um, these companies are facing content moderation regulations in the United Kingdom and possibly as well in the EU that would make a make the Ukrainian response they had that much harder. The online safety bill, which is a 
proposal to regulate content moderation of social media and what can or cannot be said online in the United Kingdom will change the game. And God forbid there's another situation like Ukraine, it could make it a lot harder to have that rapid and necessary and empathetic response that Ukrainians needed, but also the rest of Europe needed to know how to get their news and make sure that incredibly valid and incredibly horrific content was still being communicated actively and with mitigated misinformation, et cetera. Mm. Well, we're talking to Kern Nuthi, uh, another one of our great Young Voices contributors. She's the managing uh, public affairs manager of Net Choice. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get on this side of the pond. Uh, she happens to be sitting in D.C. at the current moment. We're going to talk a little U.S. politics, how our Congress is dealing with things. Also continue to talk about the Internet, freedom, regulation, things like this. Kern Nuthi continues with us on her tell right after this. Uh, welcome back to Hertel. We're having a great conversation with Kurt Nuthi, another Young Voices contributor. Okay, we talked about that you did some of your schooling over in London. You also went to UC San Diego, so you're a world traveler. You got both ends of that covered. Let's talk the U.S. a little bit. Uh, our Congress seems to be utterly obsessed with big tech. I get why on the one level, because let's just admit the, the elephant in the room. Big tech makes a really good bad guy. It makes good fundraising. It makes good politics. It makes good optics but you actually study this stuff. You know what you're talking about. When you see these hearings that our Congress, our Senate or the House of Representatives, whatever the case may be, it looks to us really bad optically that they have no clue what they're talking about when they're quizzing the experts that they bring in. You are one of those experts, though. Is it as bad to you when you review it as it is to us that, wow, they get off their talking points. They have no idea how the Internet works. I do always wonder <laughs> how close some of our Congress people are to the internet. Like I, myself, I manage NetChoice's social media and I am not up to date on some of the new social media. I'm not the age demographic for how TikTok functions. I watch the videos and could not make one myself because I could not understand the backend. Um, and that's just kind of the nature of the internet is there are different places for different people. But what worries me most about Congress and their like laser focus on social media and online technology is that their laser focus on social media is going to overturn the one thing that I truly believe made the internet so competitive and so innovative. If we do not have an internet that puts consumers first or like have an internet ecosystem that protects American innovation. What does that mean in the grand scheme of things? Is that going to mean that consumers are going to have to have less choices? Is that going to mean that prices are going to be driven up? Is that going to mean that we have not thought about the consequences of these legislation and these like proposals that Congress is pushing through? And when I read the bills, I do genuinely worry that the consequences of the foreseen actions, if enacted, aren't being thought about because a lot of them focus on overturning the consumer welfare standard. A lot of them focus on 
targeting by market capitalization and regulating by very specific criteria that can easily expand to every industry in the American economy. Like we are talking about bills that are so wide reaching and so expansive that the FTC, the DOJ and Congress can do what they want with them. And that in and of itself just sounds like ballooning big government to me. Yeah. uh, Omnibus bills without real specific language are always bad for freedom. I agree with you there. Look, we could talk about the regulation and the the data points and the stats. Let's try to do just a real world example for everybody here real quick. Um, They're focused on Facebook for a lot of reasons. One is because Facebook is the big company. Two is Facebook is the first company in the history of ever that is spending millions and millions of dollars to try to get themselves regulated, which throws up all kinds of red flags in my mind. But we'll talk about that some other time. Here's my issue with regulation in general, and you can apply this to a lot of things, but tech, especially because it moves so fast. My teenagers, Facebook's the thing you use to talk to old people. Like Facebook is already like two tech innovations ago, really, because they're already on the TikTok. They're already on to um, Discord. They're already on to all these other things that they actually use to talk to their peers. In five years when they're adults, they're not really going to have anything to do with Facebook, I don't think, other than to talk to grandma and their mother and whoever else. The shift is happening faster than the regulation. One of my legitimate concerns, I think, is they're going to write a regulation that's already five, 10 years out of date the second it goes into, into law. And then what are they going to do? I mean, just on a practical level, we talk about all these stats and stuff. There's no way they can regulate to keep up with the innovation, is there? I mean, you're seeing that in these bills. Like Facebook's an amazing example of this. When Facebook's market capitalization went down a couple weeks ago, the American Innovation and Choice Online Act, Senator Klobuchar's bill, lost its ability or not lost its ability, but almost looked like Facebook wouldn't be covered that these markets change so dramatically because of multi-homing because of generational gapage. Like I don't know what generation I am, but I do know that millennials and whatever I am, we focus on Twitter. We used, we grew up on Facebook, but like all of the people younger than us are on TikTok and have taught us discord and, the thing I spent my entire teenage years on Tumblr is not a website I've touched in a decade. Um, these companies come and go, these websites come and go because generations pick and choose the mediums they want to talk about. Like I guarantee that when I'm 50, the things that I say I did online will not be the things that like my kids or my friend's kids will be saying and doing online. It's, just generational growth and generational evolution. And you're seeing that in the online world, the same way you see it in the offline world. Um, What you're also seeing is just multi-homing. Like TikTok is where I go for entertainment content. Twitter is where I go to rant online. Um, Facebook is where I go to communicate with family that I don't really communicate with very often. (laughs) Each of these platforms has a different use for a different person. Like the way that my coworkers may use Facebook is probably completely different than the way I use it. And it's probably completely different than the way you use it. Um, And it's going to be the same for people older and younger than us. And that's almost a sign of competition because we get to pick what services we use. I use discord more than I use Facebook. And I wouldn't have said that last year. (laughs) Um, That's because I chose to use a platform that my friends are on and I got taught 
Um, and a year from now, who knows, maybe I'll back on Facebook. Maybe I'm on some new service that doesn't even exist yet. Um, and that's just nice to have the options for change. <laughs> you know, when that really hit me was when, when my two younger kids, when they were a little bit younger and we got back cause we were living overseas and we got back to the States and they, cause they were used to watching things on DVD and stuff. This is before streaming got really big and they started watching TV for the first time as younger kids. And, and they got visually angry at commercials. Like they didn't understand the con because they were just because you know we were in Germany they were used to just watching everything on DVD because that's all we you know we, streaming wasn't quite as what it is now. And they're like, what are these commercials? Why are they interrupting my show? We're 15 years down the line from that where people like I know it's a small example, but they're talking about things. I don't think folks understand the generational swings. I know like um, when I last time I was on Young Turks, they had me on, and I was just talking to the producers off air, and they're like, oh yeah, our biggest push right now is getting on Discord. Like they're really focusing on stream. Like they're like, that's where everything is because those that's our next, that's our demo. You know, they used to talk about the key demographic that 25 to 40. Well, the 25 to 40 is all on discord gaming and they're all on TikTok getting their videos and they use YouTube to pick and choose their entertainment options. I just, and I'm one, I'll put my hand up. Look, I never had a social media account until four years ago when I started writing publicly. I got a Twitter account and on Facebook, I had to learn all this stuff from scratch from knowing nothing. I do. I mean, I have a YouTube channel. You're on it right now. Hopefully, please subscribe, hit the button. But that's that's the whole point is like, even the people that do this can't keep up with it. This wide ranging legislation, like you're saying, I'm really worried they're just going to end up making these open door kind of regulations where they're just going to be able to come in and shut down anything they want for any reason they want and have no understanding the economic impact or the freedom impact. Because I'm going to say this way, you tell me if I'm oversimplifying it. I really do believe the Internet is one of the greatest tools in the history of humanity for freedom. It really is. And you have the entire depth and breadth of the human knowledge in your fingertips, and you can talk to anybody in the world about it. And I don't see any way that regulation is going to do anything but lessen that. Am I wrong? I mean, that's exactly how I think about it. When I think about even just growing up as the internet was becoming a thing and as social media was becoming a thing, the amount of information I was able to touch when I was like 12 or 13 is nowhere compared to how much I can like learn about and relate to online now. And if I had the resources that like college students and teenagers have now, I'd, I'd feel a lot more related to in some of my angsty years. And that's just a really silly example, but like for communities that need resources, the internet has it. Those communities it would be really hard to like a real world example of this is I did not know a lot about my culture and without Reddit, without the internet, without Netflix and all of these online services, I wouldn't know how robust my heritage was. Like I can almost pinpoint to an exact subreddit this one time in college that finally made me feel seen and gave me a list of resources and movies to watch and things to feel more comfortable with as like a first generation American. I know that's possible because users created the content because the internet has enabled users to love and create online. Granted, there's some bad things with that and some of that is heinous and yes, it needs to be taken down. Content moderation is a really vibrant discussion that we all need to continuously have, but user created content was really important for me. 
user-created content is going to be really important for teenagers looking for resources. Like minority and queer communities and first-generation Americans, I 100% believe can use the internet for good, to be related to, to feel empathized with, to create a community where they may not have one at home or offline. I know that to be true for me. I know that's going to be true for them. Where these bills go wrong is deciding that that needs to be regulated, be that through content moderation regulation or worse, antitrust regulation. The antitrust regulation that we're seeing now is just so vague and loose and gives a lot of power to places like the FTC, which is just like code for unelected bureaucrat, um, which makes it so that government gets to pick what companies can do and what bills can target. So while that'll affect the internet, it'll definitely affect user-created content and will definitely affect internet companies connected. But what it will also do is it's going to affect any industry that these unelected bureaucrats choose next. So while that, while the in vogue thing is to get upset with social media and there are valid reasons to get upset with social media, what happens when bureaucrats turn somewhere else with this exact legislation? We've basically just given them a vague roadmap to do what they want and enforce what they want. That's not great. <laughs> yeah, I love what you said about the cultural aspect of this because I had it happen to me recently where I'm, I'm researching a long-term project I'm writing on, something that literally happened a half mile from the house I grew up with where my parents still live up yonder, the top of our mountain in West Virginia, where we've been there for you know 200 years, our family. And I found out something that happened on the backside of that very mountain. I fi- figured it out on the internet. And I called my dad and asked him about it. And he's like, oh, yeah, I already knew about that because dad, meaning his dad, meaning my grandfather, he's like, oh, yeah, he was there. I know all about it. Like, I wouldn't have known about that if I hadn't found it on the internet. It just blows my mind. Um, Kerr Nuthi, uh, let's put a bow on it this way. When, when you look at it, because you're doing this as a policy perspective, um, what can the average person do? Because call your senator doesn't really work. Tweet your senator, discord your senator, whatever we're doing nowadays. Uh, l- let's be real. That has limited value. How should people be, because they're all, they are online, especially if they're watching this program, they're online, unless they're on the radio. How do they actually advocate for freedom online? How do they do it with just their regular social media content and what they're generating themselves? Because people don't think of themselves as content creators, but they really are because you can go viral for anything nowadays, right? How do they just work that into what they're already doing when they're doing a Facebook post, when they're doing a tweet, when they're doing whatever it is they're doing online? How do they work in their own advocacy for a free and open internet in a practical way, do you think? I think it's really important when we're advocating for free, like free speech and just free enterprise online is to use the free speech and free enterprise online. It sounds a little counterintuitive and hokey, but like acknowledging that we can have healthy and honest and happy conversations online and we can use the tools that are given and we can move off of platforms we don't like is a great first step. We don't need to get resentful of our online lives. We don't need to feel like our online lives are forced upon us. And that's just step one of making sure that your own personal free speech is yours and you have autonomy over it. But number two is just figuring out how to support free speech and free enterprise online. It's okay if you disagree with someone on Twitter and acknowledging that on Twitter ensures that you have better discourse. Um, It also ensures that people don't feel like all of a sudden big government needs to get in to your conversations. Um, That's 
just an easy way to go about it. Another easy way to go about it isn't to call your senator, but to acknowledge that all of us need to stay up to date on what this legislation means. Like calling Senator Klobuchar might not work. Maybe it does. And I ideally hope it does. Um, but just knowing what those bills are going to mean for you is going to make sure that you can stay on an internet you love. Um, knowing how these antitrust bills will affect Amazon Prime. There's hundreds and hundreds of articles online by amazing policy scholars that will teach you or explain to you or send you some more resources that will make sure you have informed choices. Like if you know what this bill is going to do, then you know exactly why you don't want it. And you can share that with your friends. You can post about it, or you can just re-up it when a conversation goes in a way that might promote bad policy ideas. Yeah, it's sad to say, but I'd like to cite this, but I can't remember who said it on, on Twitter one time. They said, probably the only thing saving free speech online is that people like Amazon and Facebook a lot more than they like people in Washington, D.C., and that might be the only thing that saves us <laughs> here. But uh, let's be a little more proactive than that. Uh, Kerr Nuthi, you have been an amazing guest. I love this conversation. We will definitely have you back because this issue is not going to go away. It's only going to accelerate. Until we get you back on the program, can you let folks know where they can find you on your social media and your writing and the things you do for Net Choice and Young Voices? Yeah, um, my online life is at Kirthi Nuthi on Twitter and basically at Kirthi Nuthi on everything. <laughs> um, but you can find me at Net Choice where we focus on a lot of American digital policy. Um, but yeah. yeah. And we're definitely going to have you back. I appreciate your time so much, especially since we took two weeks trying to get you booked and get you in, and then we finally got it done. Uh, thank you so much. We'll talk again very, very soon. Kernuthi, you're amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am. Talking about uh, regulating the internet, people often complain about Google and YouTube, who owns by Google, uh, that they censor them or they throttle them or whatever. Uh, just for what it's worth and in full disclosure, we had it happen to us uh, right here on Herd Tell. Uh, over the weekend, we got notified that they took down one of our episodes, the March 30th episode from last Wednesday, depending on when you're listening or viewing this. They sent me a note that said they had taken it down because we violated community standards. They said, and I'm quoting here, because it's the first time, this is just a warning. If it happens again, your channel will get a strike and you won't be able to do things like upload posts or live stream for up to one week. What in the world did we do wrong that made them that upset? You're going to love this one, folks, if you listen to this program or know anything at all about me. I am quoting here under the heading of how our content violated their policy. Quote, content that advances false claims that widespread fraud, errors, or glitches change the outcome of the U.S. 2020 presidential election is not allowed on YouTube. Huh? We've been very outspoken that there was no widespread fraud in the 2020 election. We don't tolerate that nonsense. We have written many, many pieces about it, for that matter of fact. I've been all over this thing. I call people out on this. And for that matter, that episode, we didn't even discuss uh, the claims of false fraud in the 2020 election. 
that episode is still up on other platforms. You can find it on the Facebook page for The Big Talker. You can find it on all the podcasting platforms. It was really funny when we announced on Twitter that that had happened. Folks listened to it, came back and said, what in the world are they talking about now? This wasn't censorship. Let's keep all this inside. We're not being persecuted here. What this is, is their AI is just stupid. It caught something that didn't apply or got took out of context or whatever the case may be and linked it. So, of course, we filed the appeal process. I typed up a nice little thing of because we've had things with like content moderation or copyright claims, things like that. And usually they get cleared up real quick. Well, this is how we know it was an AI thing because the appeal was denied within 30 seconds of me sending it. This is just kind of how it goes with things like this. We're working through other channels, try to get it cleared up, but just let you know, happens to us too. Uh, I don't think it's a widespread conspiracy. It's a company that has a whole lot going on and their AI is a moron because it was programmed to only do certain things and they just didn't have anybody bother to actually check to see if what they said was so actually happened. It wasn't. We'll keep you up to date on it. In the meantime, make sure you're subscribing and watching and or listening to Heard tell on multiple platforms in case that ever happens again. You can always follow us on social media to stay up to date as well. We'll do more Heard tell right after this. Welcome back to Herd Tell. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for sticking with us on this Monday. Thrilled that you're in with us. Okay, the Ukraine war is a very heavy topic. It's a very serious topic. Uh, it is the great evil of our day. But even amongst that, there's some good news. Let's go to the story from DroneDJ.com. Ukraine is using drones as vital tools in the defense against the invading Russian forces. Even children understand that. This is why kids are now stepping forward to donate their prized quadcopters to the Ukrainian army. A couple of instances of incredible don- drone donations by kids have come to light in recent days. A six-year-old boy from the Somi Oblast region of the northeast part of Ukraine received a drone as a gift from his father on his birthday, according to a March 18th report by the Ukrainian Parliament's Education Center. The boy told his dad, let's give it to the military. They need it more. They protect us. And he went himself, his huge smile on toe, to deliver the special gift to the Sumi region's Krasvalet Armed Forces. Uh, he wasn't alone. This week, a girl from Belarus packed up her drone to donate to the Ukrainian army. Her gift was accompanied by a drawing of a camouflage soldier and a handwritten note that said, my name is Varya. I am sending you my favorite drone. You need it more than I do. I want you all to be alive. Please, when you drive all the fascists out of Ukraine, then liberate my Belarus too. <laughs> I'm thinking some adult might have helped with that one. Nevertheless, she has a point with Levchenko, the, uh, who is leading Belarus illegally after stealing an election and putting down the effort to complain about that is completely a lapdog of Putin. So she ain't wrong. She had a line, but she ain't wrong. And somebody helped her probably write that. Uh, nevertheless, back to the point. Uh, a number of people have donated drones to the Ukrainian army earlier this month. A group of Finnish volunteers hand-delivered 140 DJI Mavic mini drones to the UK- Ukrainian military to assist with reconnaissance efforts. This was followed by a Dutch volunteer group bringing 187 DJI Mini 2 drones to Ukraine, quote, so we can all see what Russia is doing to the nation 
these things range from the little ones that you could buy at like a Walmart or somewhere like that. They just carry a camera. They can use it for reconnaissance to a little bit bigger ones. We have seen uh, the Ukrainians have gotten very creative. They can drop small munitions, even from a small drone, drop it directly on a vehicle or an emplacement. Really effective little weapon. We've also seen this worldwide, places like Yemen, where they've launched attacks using the very small, very commercially available drones that just about anybody can buy. Something to keep an eye on in the future, but there that is. That'll do it for her tell on this Monday. We're so glad you're back with us. Uh, make sure you're subscribing. However you're watching or viewing, if you're on the YouTube channel, you can watch us. Uh, you can listen on all the podcasting platforms. You can also watch us on Big Talker's Facebook feed, our radio partner, Big Talker Networks. Just go to Big Talker Network. It'll come right up in the search block on Facebook. Also a great place to share our program. They also link to a lot of our stories and things that we cover there. And in the meantime, wherever you and yours are across the street or around the world, we hope you are well. We hope you are well fed. We'll talk to you about We'll talk to you again tomorrow on Hurt. All the music on Hurtel is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.